Thanks to Third Love for supporting Muller She Wrote. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering you 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash AG to find yours today. Thanks to Noom for supporting Muller She Wrote. Sticking to a weight loss plan can be hard. Noom is designed for results. It's out with the old habits and in with the new. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. And thanks to Legacy Box for supporting Muller She Wrote. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. For a limited time, they're offering you a 40% discount. So go to LegacyBox.com slash AG to get 40% off your first order. This is Jack Bryan, the co-writer and director of Active Measures, and you are listening to Muller She Wrote. Lucky you. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today are Jordan Coburn. Hello. And Amanda Reeder. Hello. Welcome to the impeachment megasode. Today we're going to cover impeachment, the relevance of Bob Mueller, the public hearings, the Republican silly defense strategy, and all the headlines we know that you care about. So it's going to be a pretty awesome episode. We also have Terry Canefield, who was it was recommended at our last show live at Boston, which I wasn't drunk on stage, uh, <laughs> to uh, to to have her on the show. Um, I, yeah, I don't know where that came from, but uh, I can guarantee you I do not drink before performances and, and recording. I was just probably a little off my game, so sorry about that. Uh, I was just in awe of the great Greg Oliar. I think I was just a little celebrity drunk. <laughs> yes. He had a lot um, of really great things to say. He's so funny. How are you? Good. Yeah. How did <laughs> you, 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 so you both went. You both went. Yeah, well, we're so great. We're doing great. Everyone's doing great. Um, You're how doing was, great. How was your weekend, Jordan? How's it uh, been? It was great. I had, a f- okay, fun fact. So a friend that my mom now has because they met at our live DC show randomly um, they're like very That's good cute. friends. Yeah, they're very good they friends. They met at the show? They did. I apparently. remember that. I remember that lady. Yeah. Aww. Apparently they were, um, it's a married couple. I don't want to use their names in case they think that's weird. But they were talking to my mom, not knowing that my mom was my mom. And then mm-hmm. it turned out that they live like 20 minutes away from each other. So they're really good friends now. And um, uh, the guy. Muller, she wrote. Bringing people together. Yes. Yeah, that's so uh, nice. The, the husband of the group. <laughs> came to san diego so me my dad and my boyfriend ryan we all went and hung out and showed him like a brewery and had some fun so yes that's make so cool. friends yeah mother she wrote people which at brewery our shows did you check out we went to fall brewing oh, yeah. Nice. yeah yeah so freaking good people at our shows have said this right and it's happening for your family too which is really mm-hmm. nice people at our shows are like i like met i've made friends through your the community so that's really nice yeah totally yeah. it's really cool it's it's we have the best listeners and the best fans and they're also like generous with their heart and time and mm-hmm. yeah great Great dating side, great friend side. <laughs> Can't recommend it enough. Um, yeah, I'm good too. The highlight of my day so far was that I had some fresh squeezed orange juice, which was, yeah, 
That's probably my day so far. Simple so person. It's a little, it's a little things. <laughs> I yeah. just had a nice glass of OJ. Just had a nice glass of OJ. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> I appreciate pe- that. Yeah, it's about the little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vitamin C is important. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> we have uh, some really great things that that are going to go on in this show. But before we kick it off, I I do want to uh, get into my not new favorite segment. (laughs) I was corrected by calling it new (laughs) for too long. (laughs) My not new favorite. (laughs) I know. It's like when you're training as a waitress and you just want to keep that I'm in training button for like a year, you know, or like student driver. If you're a bad driver, I've thought about about putting a student driver sticker on my car so people are nicer to me. Or it's uh, it's just that- a refusal to accept that time is moving forward. Yeah. It's just uh, always new. Yes. And yeah. as, as somebody on Twitter said, this year has been a hell of a week. <laughs> oh, God. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Well, Who was that? I, I can't remember. Cool. Sorry. No, no credit no, no, where no, credit is probably due. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't me. How about that? Is that fair enough? Yeah. Fair cool. enough. All right. Let's hit it. Let's, let's get into the corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. All right, from Nancy Norton. When the ACA was first implemented, Kentucky had a Democratic governor, Bashir's father, question mark. And they did implement the Medicaid expansion. Many, many people got health insurance for the first time because of the Medicaid expansion in Kentucky. Then Bevin was elected, promising to kill it, but he wasn't able to do that. Instead, he was going to impose punishing work requirements, uh, I think premiums that people would have to pay. So lots of people were going to lose their insurance. So it never actually, it was there to begin with. He lost because he was threatening to kill it. Gotcha. So thank you. Hmm. From Mary Alice Tolbert. Love the show. Look forward to it every day. I'm from Kentucky, and Bashir's father was governor before Bevan and did take advantage of the Medicaid expansion. Okay, and Bevan uh, quickly dismantled it. Um, his son wants to get us back to where we were. So those seem to be nice. conflicting corrections. Yeah. Uh, but there you have it. Yeah, I wanted to include, wanted to include both of them because yes. I was like, hmm. Which is it? Mm-hmm. Someone will let us know next week. Uh, and then we got a, a Wikipedia uh, link. So we'll we'll put that out in the newsletter. You can check it out. Uh, she says uh, that she wouldn't expect us to know that if we aren't from here. So no big deal. Thank you. From uh, Karen Rodriguez from Undead Batman. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great episode title. <laughs> and this is more on Kentucky. They did accept Obamacare. Um, the dad of the new governor can't spell the name. B. Bevan wanted to stop it. Also, uh, while the high school shooting was taking place, Murphy... CT was on Murphy from Connecticut was on the Senate floor trying to introduce a background check bill from the House objected by uh, Mississippi Senator Hyde Smith and killed. So I think mm-hmm. she just wanted us to know that. Yeah, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. It It is. It's the same story mm-hmm. but you know, that's been happening forever uh, from Jason Krasinski. First of all, poop flaps makes me happy. Uh, make me happy. Excuse me. Poop flaps <laughs> make me happy. Um <laughs> Also, Stephen Miller and Katie Waldman are grosser than Jared and Ivanka. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that's a correction. It's not. Say, but... I just had to include it because it said poop claps make me happy. Yeah. <laughs> we get some corrections which aren't much of a correction, so they're not necessarily included. But this particular one, I had to include it yeah. because poop flaps. That's funny. I appreciate because it. poop flaps. Also, I do appreciate the opinion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. We can have an opinion section. Oh, God. <laughs> Letters to the editor. Op-ed. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. yeah. That could be cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't see why that would be a problem. Maybe yeah. we could do that for the beans or something. Mm-hmm. From Mike Wenthold, Mark Vallon, Tristan from Australia, Elliot Bigsworth, Jimmy Olivas, and Peter. Uh, this particular uh, one is from Mike Wenthold, but they all sort of had this uh, similar correction. He says, I'm always really impressed with how well you're able to keep up on everything. The news is moving so fast. I feel like my head is swimming. In your Daily Beans episode, It's Raining Justice, you made a football reference that is incorrect. It is not hazing the kicker. It is icing the kicker. <gasps> it's where you call a timeout before a big kick to get him to think about it a little while longer in order to make him nervous. You are sense. You're my primary source for political news. You keep me informed and sane. So... Uh, yes, uh, when I said hazing the kicker, that isn't a thing. It's just what I've been saying for the last 20 years, probably sounding <laughs> like a fucking idiot. Uh, icing the kicker makes more sense. You put them on ice. That's right. right. Isn't okay. something, isn't there something about roughing, like roughing the passer or well, something? You can rough the kicker if you tackle him or rough the passer. That again. is rough. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> tackling, <laughs> tackling is rough. <laughs> Rubbing the passer, hazing the coach. Just the combination of all these words. Surely one of them means something. <laughs> uh, from Tyler B. Last week I put off this correction thinking you would get to it, but I didn't hear it. Uh, I believe AG mentioned the card counting is illegal, as mentioned in The Hangover. <laughs> Good source. It's not illegal, just frowned upon, like uh, masturbating on an airplane. Okay. I'm pretty sure that is illegal. Mm, I think so, too. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I guess if you go undetected. Especially like, if you refer to your cock as the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, it, it's illegal to use computers or mechanical devices to assist in card counting but using your memory and statistics is not you might get asked to leave if you're good though nice um dave menconi uh the best episode was from the airplane washroom <laughs> also uh, i'm not sure uh i'm the first to mention it but march 3rd is not the first primary february 2nd in iowa no i know uh we were talking about i think super tuesday is march 3rd uh the f- and the first one is february 2nd that's right around the corner that is very close <laughs> Uh, he also says my beans are that Warren will win win it with Mayor Pete coming in second. <laughs> second. Oh, in Iowa. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he meant in the race. Like what? <laughs> No. Uh, and then uh, we'll see what's what. By March 3rd, it will almost be over. And we're going to talk about, um, I, actually, I think it's going to be in the Daily Beans episode tomorrow. We've got new polling out from Iowa that shows Buttigieg is ahead. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. And yeah, I'm, he... I'm not going to mention the other 56 candidates, so don't think I'm trying to erase them. <laughs> Joe Baker, um, pussy versus vaginae shaming, electric boogaloo. Two, excuse me, pussy versus vaginae shaming to electric boogaloo. <laughs> I'm assuming vaginae is plural for vaginas. Wow, I've been saying vaginas my whole life like an idiot. I think it's probably just a joke. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The term, the term pussy in reference to vagina comes from a counterculture habit of referring to women as pussy cats. I believe this comes from the early 1900s in New Orleans brothel slang where a customer was referred to as a jazz cat and a prostitute as a pussy cat. Jazz? Is that like old timey jizz? Um, <laughs> we will see vestiges of this in yeah, things like jazz. Such as calling a brothel a cat house, jazz hands, <laughs> gross, spirit fingers. Uh, let's see. That's it. Those are the corrections this week. Thank you so much for sending those in. I think the biggest mo- biggest response we got was hazing the kicker. Um, we have one more. Oh, we do. We do have one more. Excellent. Well, we let's have hear one it. from Rachel McCoy. 
And she says, so grateful that you helped me through the pol- uh, shitstorm of political news. And she also says, I want to correct Jordan for her apology about using the word fuck. <laughs> news with swearing is not the same without the swears. Fucking is an amazing word that is versatile and can be used in any part of a sentence. Fuck is word salt. Apply liberally. Hell yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, Rachel. That mm. is fucking appreciated. <laughs> word salt. I love it. Yeah, me too. Mm. Apply liberally. Apply liberally. Indeed. Mm. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, news was, you're right. It would be incomplete. Yeah. Without, what would it be? I said fuck saying? a lot the episode you weren't here. Oh, yeah. I see. Mm-hmm. I had to apologize. It was very fuck heavy. <laughs> it was fuck heavy. It was fuck heavy episode. Some days are. It was the first day of impeachment hearings, public ones. Mm, you're anyway. all jazzed up. Yes. <laughs> jazzed up with your spirit fingers and fuck. Uh. <laughs> ah. all right so if you have a correction please send them to us at com. click on contact select corrections and build us a compliment sandwich we will read your name on the air unless you ask us not to and we'll get it right eventually uh let's hit the news now with just the fucks <laughs> All right. Impeachment hearings began this week as Nancy Pelosi has very deliberately changed the language from quid pro quo to bribery. I think that's a fantastic idea. I tweeted about it a lot because I didn't want, you know, the Ukraine impeachment case to be subsumed in reflexive control language the way the Mueller investigation was with the word collusion. Collusion isn't illegal. Conspiracy is. Quid pro quo isn't a crime, but, but bribery and extortion are. But you don't need a crime for impeachment. It's important to note. Uh, most importantly, the word bribery appears in the Constitution under Article 1, which says the president shall be impeached, not maybe if you feel like it, shall be impeached for treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. And while an act that rises to the standard of a federal crime beyond a reasonable doubt is not required for impeachment, bribery checks all the boxes and paints the Senate in a corner. Recent events are, are proving that holding these members accountable for ignoring the rule of law, including the Dem win in Kentucky, the Dem win in Louisiana for governor both. And if you haven't heard, Tedra Cobb, Elise Stefanik's opponent, has raised nearly a million dollars since Stefanik went full Nunez uh, during her performance in Maria Yovanovitch's testimony, where she gaslit the country by insinuating that she and her Republican colleagues weren't being allowed to ask questions. She raised that argument during the time period that wasn't hers. It was the 90-minute questioning period set aside for the chair, ranking minority member and legal staff uh, to ask the questions. That rule was set up by Republicans during the Benghazi hearings, which, by the way, produced zero indictments. Womp womp. Womp womp. So let's go over the major takeaways from this week's testimony, first week um, of public-facing hearings in the impeachment inquiry, and, and we'll discuss these as we go. And I want to begin with Masha Yovanovitch. Uh, first, Nunez read the first Zelensky call. Uh, he read the quote-unquote transcript, and he read it in... Was it, was it perfect? It was perfect. Nice. He read it in three minutes, but the record shows it's a 16-minute call. <laughs> uh, even if you take translation into account, that does not add up. Plus, it did not include the corruption talking points that the White House indicated were discussed on the call. Uh, it's from a, an article from Politico, uh, or you can just match up the White House talking points with what Nunez read and see that it's different. Colonel Vindman wrote those talking points before the call, and it appears the White House released those talking points as a readout of the call instead of actually listening to the call and releasing what was said on the call. Vindman was asked if he, you know, put, you know, the quid pro quo or anything in there, the bribery, anything like that. He's like, no, (laughs) no, I didn't. And this is just further evidence that the president was not going after corruption at large. Yeah. Didn't I read some, uh, didn't I read, can you tell me what my brain saw? Didn't I read somewhere that there, that Vindman put in there to include just the general corruption 
Yeah, he 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 wanted the president to address corruption mm-hmm. within you know the the prosecutor's office and in general in Ukraine because mm-hmm. it, it it is a problem. And but then that didn't exist anywhere in this first call. Nope, it was just you know a bunch of butt kissing and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Trump talked about the Miss Universe pageant and how all the Ukraine girls are super hot. And thanks for that. And it was just Jesus weird. Christ. It was just weird. Goddamn. Is the ocean the new water cooler, dude? <laughs> just, like, <laughs> talking bro shit across continents. That's <laughs> gross. It is. I hate that. It's locker room nice talk. girls. Very attractive girls. Ugh. Excellent stock. When you I owned it. Miss Universe, he said. Very interesting language. Uh, her opening statement was very moving. Like the like the person. <laughs> I, that's why I thought it was a little odd <laughs> yeah. that he said I owned Miss Universe. I, oh, he's God. talking about the pageant. Yeah, totally. It just sounds bad. It it does. Um, her opening statement to me I thought was very moving. Um, outlining the nonpartisan nature of her job, being in harm's way, working for the American people, working for U.S. policy abroad. Uh, and that corruption is a security issue. And she was one of the main people at the spearhead, if you will, of fighting corruption in Ukraine. She was very calm. She was very measured. Um, she testified that while she un- and I want to qualify that, you know, this has nothing to do with her gender or how she identifies. She was just calm and measured. And I thought that that was, uh, you know, but she had she had some feelings, too, but not like. Kavanaugh feelings. <laughs> yeah. Um, God. Red in the face. You know. It's like was, beer. It's still like beer. I like beer. Do you drink beer, Senator? Do you drink beer? Mm. Oh my God. I cannot believe what an unmitigated child he was and is. I know. Um, she testified that while she understands that she served at the pleasure of the president and the president can remove any ambassador, recall them for any reason that, that, that he wants, she did not understand the smear campaign against her. Just why the smear campaign if you don't want me to be the ambassador just tell me to, mm-hmm. to that i'm done mm-hmm. he's obviously trying to create some sort of false narrative as a reason to have her removed mm-hmm. um and so that brings in a you know corrupt intent which yeah. isn't required for impeachment but is there and why were they aware of her being ousted before she was too exactly um she also talked about her shock upon reading the call transcript the you know the july 25th call released by the white house and she felt threatened when trump said she's going to go through some things um then and this is the story of the day for friday uh during her testimony while she was testifying while she was testifying that she felt you know intimidated and threatened by this uh, these things that trump said about her in a call trump tweeted disparaging remarks about her and Adam Schiff raised concerns about witness intimidation in real time. Many on the right say he's, you know, Trump's allowed to do that. And she she can't read tweets while she's testifying anyway. So how is it threatening her in real time? Probably because they don't understand witness intimidation and the chilling effect that his tweets have on future witnesses as well. Adam Schiff offered her a chance to respond to Trump's tweets during her testimony. She said, quote, it's very intimidating. I can't speak to what the president is trying to do, but I think the effect is to be intimidating. Uh, Trump's tweets likely made Republicans squirm, given that they have to keep defending him. And Schiff immediately accused Trump of witness intimidation, saying that we take that very, very seriously. Yeah, I think someone on CNN said that Trump really took the wind out of the Republican sails trying to come off as these like very measured and calm people. It was it was not long until that was completely just undermined by their own fear. Yeah. <laughs> fear. Yeah. And she did do a great job. She was she was really impressive and and seemed honestly exasperated mm-hmm. at this entire process. Mm-hmm. 
not um, the impeachment process, but her removal and what what was happening mm-hmm. with the shadow yeah, the policy campaign and everything. Yeah. Especially after she's another person who served under five different administrations, Reagan appointed. Yeah. So it's like, how, mm-hmm. how, how does anybody watch this and think that that's a logical argument that they're a partisan person? It's like, what other possible evidence would you need that this person is nonpartisan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also just... um. There's this article on Mother Jones about how, like, this is another example of Trump being obsessed with retaliation and revenge. Like, he's like has a particular obsession with getting revenge upon people who stand in his way. And they shared this tweet that he tweeted in 2014. He tweeted an Alfred Hitchcock quote that said, "Revenge is sweet and not fattening." Hmm. Okay. Very hmm. weird. Very like insight into keto. His, I don't like a very weird thing to say. Revenge but, is paleo. Yeah. No, can't have sugar. But like. You know, he sees it this way. He sees it as this like joyous endeavor, mm. revenge and retaliation. It's like joyful for him. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Very weird. Revenge is a dish best served cold, <laughs> uh, as Klingons and Shakespeare would say. But yeah. Adam Schiff, um, something that was happening with Stefanik. Oh, God, her. She kept, she used her time saying, well, since I wasn't allowed to interrupt against the rules earlier, she didn't say that, but that's what happened. She said, I need to get all these things. I need to read all these times that Adam Schiff said the whistleblower must testify. Mm -hmm. And went on this tirade about all the times Adam Schiff back in September said that the whistleblower must testify. And after a a while, some other things went on. But then Adam Schiff responded saying, look, the, the president threatened the whistleblower things have changed it's like that whole you know Nicolas Cage won an Oscar but a lot of shit's gone down since then and so he was saying you know then he read off in in response to this all of Trump's tweets saying that the whistleblower should be tried for treason and executed and all this other stuff and that um, I talk a little bit about that in depth in the interview at the end of the show with Terry Canefield so um, stick around for that but that was just a really uh, weird thing for her to do and her opponent like I said, has raised almost a million dollars. Yeah, that was great. I very happily shared that immediately after watching her. She's so perfect for the Republican Party, though, because she's relentlessly annoying, obnoxious, and dedicated to just lying to the American people. So she's she's perfect for it, and she's eloquent, and she speaks with a lot of authority. She's mm-hmm. like... She's better than Jim Jordan is for sure. Far. Yeah, way better than Jim Jordan. And then so if you're if you know if you're on their side. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's she's way more awful and yeah. sinister <laughs> than Jim Jordan. Successfully um, sinister. Yeah, because when you hear her speak it's like if she had other words coming out of her mouth, you know, that were that were liberal, it would also check out whereas someone like Jim Jordan is just being a fucking asshole. Yeah. Just not conducting himself with any sort of like integrity but um but that tedra cobb was able to raise that kind of money within you know a day or two yeah what a what a referendum on what we've been saying about holding senators uh, accountable Mm -hmm. for acquitting the president yep absolutely uh in in the removal the trial in the Mm -hmm. senate uh a lot of people have argued that it's not gonna hurt them they don't care this shows that it clearly does yeah and that they're their strategy really is to just lie to yes. people at home watching. So, for for example, when she was when they were constantly trying to interrupt, like when Nunes, when Nunes tried to yield his time to her in the beginning, even though they're fully aware that that was not the rules, it was going to go 
the ranking member and then their council, and that yep. was the only person that they they knew that their rules, by the way. Yeah, and so they one hundred percent knew that. And when they're trying to create all of this drama and theater about you won't let me speak, it's just all a complete lie. Oh yeah, that's a that was a strategy. I, I guarantee you, they talked before when they were in their little war room trying to come up with a strategy. They're like, tell you what, you try to hand it off to me, and then I'll complain that they won't let me talk. Like, oh, that's good. That's good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they'll never. They'll never see that coming. Mm-hmm. Dumb shit. Yeah. Owns a 100 square foot farm and tries to tell people he's a fucking farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, also this week, George Kent. So cute. And uh, sorry to objectify uh, public the bow tie. Servant, but it's OK. It's just life. about. Yeah. He puts that bow tie on for a reason. Mm-hmm. He wants to be objectified. I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see how he's dressed? He wants to get the knitters vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we won't even talk. We'll talk about David Holmes in a second. Like that dapper shit, <laughs> yeah, ladies. <laughs> yes. But uh, George Kent and and Bill Taylor testified Wednesday, and the big story from that came during Taylor's opening statement, where he referenced a call one of his aides overheard between Trump and Sunland at a restaurant outdoor on the terrace in Kiev. For new information to come out during these testimonies is incredibly shocking, uh, and this prompted the Dems to call the aide David Holmes in for a closed door deposition Friday. Uh, and Manu Raju got a hold of Holmes's opening statement. Hell yeah, he rocks. He really does. And and one of the things that's not in some of these excerpts I'm going to read you is Holmes was like, you know, it occurred to me as, you know, this was happening with all of the Republicans saying there's no firsthand information that Trump is connected to this, uh, which is a terrible defense because there's so much evidence that he is totally connected to it. Uh, he went, I have firsthand information. I should tell Bill Taylor. And he did. And so that's kind of how this came to be. So here's some excerpts from his uh, opening statement only. While Ambassador Sunland's phone was not on speakerphone, I could hear the president's voice through the earpiece of the phone. The president's voice was very loud and recognizable. And Ambassador Sondland <laughs> held the phone away from his ear for a period of time, presumably because of the loud volume. <laughs> I heard Ambassador Sondland greet the president and explain that he was calling from Kiev. I heard the pres. I heard President Trump then clarify that Ambassador Sondland was in Ukraine. Apparently, he doesn't know that that's where Kiev is. Ambassador Sondland replied, "Yes, I am in Ukraine," and went on to state that President Zelensky loves your ass. That was a quote. Yeah, yeah this was again broy way to talk to anyone. <laughs> loves your ass, bro. Uh, uh, then I heard Trump ask, "Okay, so he's going to do the investigation?" Ambassador Sondland replied that he's going to do it, adding Zelensky will, quote, do anything you ask him to. And that's a big point that, I mean, that you know, they've been reporting that, do anything you'll ask him to. But in the context of people wondering, you know, that the Zelensky felt no pressure and there can't be a quid pro quo if he didn't know about it, there can't be bribery, there can't be a shakedown if he didn't know about it. Uh, to, to say that Zelensky will do anything you ask him to puts in perspective... The position that Zelensky is in. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And that's a, again, direct reference to him asking for something. Exactly. Um, then he continues, even though I did not take notes of these statements, I have a clear recollection that these statements were made. I believe that my colleagues who were sitting at the table also knew that Ambassador Sondland was speaking with the president. Ambassador Sondland agreed that the president did not give a shit about Ukraine. I asked why not. And Ambassador Sunland stated that the president only cares about the big stuff. <sighs> I noted that there was big stuff going on in Ukraine, 
<laughs> like a war with Russia. And Ambassador Sondland replied that he meant big stuff that benefits the president, like the Biden investigation that Mr. Giuliani was pushing. Pretty cut and dry, folks. Yeah, so this testimony wrecks the idiotic hearsay defense, which is doesn't apply anyway. It also puts insane pressure on Sundland to once again amend his bullshit story. He has a few options now. I've talked to a couple of lawyers, criminal defense and prosecutors uh, alike. And here are the three options that I think he has. Well, there's four if you really think about it. He could actually just flee the country. So five. <laughs> Um, here, here's a few options. None of them are good for Trump. He can tell the entire truth, uh, or he can plead the fifth, or he can ask for an immunity deal. Uh, also, he could just lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that mm-hmm. is continuing down the road he's already on. That, I'm sure his lawyers are screaming at him not to do that, because while this testimony was going on, uh, with Marie Ivanovich, just a couple hundred yards away, Roger Stone uh, is now facing 50 years in prison for, in part, lying to Congress, being found guilty on all seven counts. No he was parole, right? With. No parole in federal prison. You get a few months off every year, but he faces 50 years. Now, during, during there's a lot of calculations mm-hmm. for sentencing guidelines. Uh, I believe Glenn Kirshner said at the low end, four to five, at the high end, 11 to 12. I'm guessing seven to nine. You're at the low end, right, Jordan? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So we don't know how many yet. February. We won't know until February sixth when he's actually sentenced. He because gets, even we, though the sentencing guidelines for Manafort when they came out, mm-hmm. uh, he was facing you know decades, but then the sentencing guidelines were like seventeen or something like that, and he only got seven and a half, four and four and a half in one case and three in another. Mm-hmm. I think. So should we have some kind of bet? With the three of us for stone sentencing. Yeah, I mean we can do that. We can. I put, bet you ten Roger Stones. <laughs> I only have four <laughs> Roger Stones. Lines of I can really went all out. I bought them in bulk. I can I make some more Roger Stones. You'll never know. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and they're not authentic. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> you certified Roger Stone. Yeah, we could be uh, <laughs> call ourselves Stone Ambassadors. <laughs> like we were recruited directly and then um, make money. That sounds great. What sweet justice. I wish that people actually gave a shit about them and would buy them and I would totally steal his idea and money. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Shipping's hard though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm go- I'm sticking with seven to nine. That's more my be- my beans are. Yeah, I'm gonna... I know the judge is like sick of him. Sick of him so much, but... <laughs> I know. But she still but she is also incredibly let fair. Him out. She, yeah, she could have jailed fair. him until the sentencing, and mm-hmm. she didn't, and a lot of people were pretty upset with that. Yeah. yeah is he not... Uh, uh, what's, what's Flight the, risk? That's the one. No, I don't know he's as much of a flight risk as he's a risk to society. <laughs> he's a menace to society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what trickster shit is he going to get up to oh my God. in February? Yeah. I just imagine his life in jail just like... This just whimsical, magical warlock person that sits in. I see him trying to like get in there and run shit, just twiddling his thumbs. Just somebody said he left the courtroom and then challenged someone to a hot air balloon race around the world. (laughs) That somebody looks like he would do. Jesus, what did you say? Sorry, I stepped. Oh, I just I feel like he would get in there and try to like socially engineer, like yeah, you know, create his own gang or whatever. Yeah, totally. I'm I'm not going to pretend to be. Pinstripe is all he wanted. I mean, that's not true. I have my family members in prison. But anyway. <laughs> Amanda, do you have a, a, a bet on how many years he'll get? <sighs> how many years? I'm going to go with 10. 10? 
Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the judge is like, I'm going to give you a couple months of freedom because I'm going to put your ass in the slammer for as long as I possibly <laughs> <Maybe>. can. <laughs> maybe. And I want to be able to sleep at night personally. So enjoy, yeah, enjoy the holidays. Um, I, I I was lower, like four. I'll say four. Mm. Yeah. Okay. The if it is too high too, I feel like that increases the likelihood of Trump pardoning him. Well, I have some news for you. Oh. Uh, because <laughs> the jury wasn't out long, first of all. They didn't deliberate for very long. It only took them a day. And that's important because at the end of the trial, the prosecution rested by saying, this is important that you find him guilty because truth matters and facts matter. And that's really important, especially right now. And they seemingly agreed with that and, and found him guilty on all seven counts pretty quickly. And it's fun if you look at the verdict mm-hmm. because you can see the check marks, guilty, 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 uh, going all the way across all the pages. Um, and so, you know, I think that they, that was sort of the message. Uh, and and also, he broke the law. Um, so Stone carried himself throughout this trial as though he were expecting a pardon. Like, I don't care, whatever. The defense was weak. They didn't really try to do anything meaningful to keep him from, you know, to lower his sentence. He didn't cooperate at all. So he's purporting, comporting himself, not purporting, comporting himself like he's going to get a pardon. However, Mueller is a smart dude. He knows Trump cannot pardon state crimes. Uh, You don't have to be smart to to know that, but check out what he did. A lot of people forget about this. Um, And also two things here. You can't pardon state crimes and guilty verdicts from federal cases are admissible as evidence in state court. As we know, state charges have been brought against Manafort uh, and the same fate could befall the mm-hmm. Babadook because <laughs> of the steps Mueller took. Uh, now, Stone lives in Florida and the attorney general there is Republican. However, Mueller took the step of raiding Stone's apartment in Harlem and seizing a computer. That ensures that some of the crimes Stone committed will have been in New York. Not to mention, I don't think Stone took uh, timing into account. A Trump pardon during an impeachment inquiry into obstruction of justice would be astoundingly politically stupid. Yeah, That would be really hard for Senate uh, Republicans to to defend, although I'm sure they'd find a way. Yeah, that's also you know, an official... Sweeping pardon powers, and you can't, you know, that's the Constitution gives him that right. Yeah, totally. His unofficial campaign slogan is astoundingly stupid. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, I would not is. be surprised. Uh, but... Remember that. And and that's a key thing that Mueller did, I think, on purpose uh, by having his his Harlem apartment raided and having a computer taken out of there. That's interesting. It, 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 it continues to impress me. And you guys have an even even more nuanced perspective on this. But the ways in which he guaranteed that justice could be served. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he set it up for. He, he, he at least you know reached saying? the torch out. Yeah, he he really passed the torch in a in a in a particularly impressive way, which is not something I think a lot of people are appreciating because mm-hmm. they're like, where wh- like what happened? Nothing happened after the Mueller report, and it's like actually so much has happened, and mm-hmm. and a lot of people forget about all those redacted cases that were handed off mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. other agencies, um, to other prosecutors. I mean, not quite as successfully as you thought it would be initially in terms of people picking up these cases, but there's still he laid groundwork, which is still impressive. Mm-hmm. Very. Um, let's see what else this week. We got the Tim Morrison and Jennifer Williams transcripts. Um, some key highlights here. Williamson, that's Pence's uh, uh, staffer, says that, um, you know, basically insinuated that Pence was kept away from Zelensky's inauguration as part of the bribery scheme to get investigations into the Bidens. So 
we know that, you know, that's another uh, thing that, that was being offered to Zelensky in order to announce these investigations was a, a visit from Pence mm-hmm. uh, at the inauguration. Instead, they sent Perry. Hmm. Womp womp. You skip right in. And uh, Tim Morrison corroborated all the facts here, but doesn't come to the same opinion about whether or not the bribery was an impeachable offense. So he has a different opinion about it, but he corroborates all the facts. Mm. And Jennifer Williams still works there? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, because that seems like kind of a damning thing to say. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, sh- I'm paraphrasing, but that was the indication. Oh, you're doing it shift style? Yeah. <laughs> doing it shift style. And uh, Mark Sandy... An official at the Office of Management and Budget also testified behind closed doors Saturday. We learned what I thought we would learn, that he signed off on the withholding of aid to Ukraine, but was not given a reason for doing so. So he doesn't know the reason. So, yes. Uh, Here's the testimony schedule for this week. Tuesday, Jennifer Williams and Vindman uh, at 9 a.m. Eastern and Volker and Morrison at 2.30 Eastern. Wednesday, we have Sundland at 9 Eastern and Laura Cooper and David Hale at 2.30 Eastern. Then Thursday is Fiona Hill at 9 in the morning. I'm waiting to see if they add David Holmes mm-hmm. to the roster this week. Yeah, that would make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, put him in the, uh, put him on, shit, I'd have him go Monday, but not a lot of people are busy. How long do you think they can really expect American people to tune in, though, intently? Well, here's something interesting. Pelosi came out today, Sunday, and said, uh, left the door open for the impeachment inquiry to go into next year. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that this has multiple, there's multiple reasons for this. First of all, we're just on the brink of Mueller stuff ripening. We can get the Mueller grand jury material. We can also get uh, very soon um, the the tax returns from so soon. bazaars. We can also uh, expect that in, and in, in here's the thing, because remember when the Senate came out and said, well, our, our trial is going to last six to eight weeks. And the reason they were doing that is so that these senators that are running for the Democratic presidential nomination would be taken out of the, taken off the road. Uh, so it also behooves the House yeah. to sort of, you know, and not just for the, that political purpose. I think that's an unintended outcome because I think right. that the intended purpose is to get all of the facts. The fact that we had these things come out with, you know, with Holmes and they're going to want to find out how that aid was released, uh, you know, and it's it's being very it's being it's seeming difficult because of all the people who have firsthand knowledge are being obstructed from testifying by the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're waiting for the McGahn decision, which would c- sort of give the domino effect, the Democrats more, you know, leverage to say, you can't have blanket immunity. It doesn't exist. And a court found that. So now you're in you're extra obstructing mm-hmm. justice, you know, extra obstructy. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, not like defying subpoenas is enough, not that obstructing justice is enough. Now a court has said there's no such thing as whatever this fucking bullshit immunity is that you're trying to, you know, invoke. Uh, so the, like triple um, cover your ass on that. So that is what's happening. And Republican uh, defenses and, and why Mueller is so important in all this. Um, he's sort of erased. Mueller sort of erased the too dumb to crime and corrupt intent defenses. Uh, Terry Canefield and I talk about the fact that corrupt intent isn't really a, even a viable defense in this in this impeachment case. But the GOP kept saying that the aid was eventually released, so all's well that ends well. But as we reported last week, we learned from Bloomberg that five people familiar with the matter say 
Bolton and the State Department released a good chunk of the aid two days before September 11th, not Trump. Quote, the State Department decision, which hasn't been reported previously, stemmed from a legal finding made earlier in the year, filing, I think, uh, and conveyed in a classified memo to Pompeo that the State Department lawyers found that the Office of Management and Budget and Trump had no legal standing to block the aid. So what it appears has happened is that you know, they were they were told to block the aid at the State Department. The State Department went to their counselor, Office of General Counsel, and said, write us up a legal opinion that says we can do this. And o- OGC said, you can't. It's illegal. And so Bolton said, all right, release the $141 million, mm-hmm. and then pounded sand, kicked rocks, resigned. And then, uh, as September 11th, and this is all after they got caught, mm-hmm. Trump released the rest of the aid from the Pentagon. So that's that's the story there. I'm like I'm excited to hear more from John Bolton. I'm irritated that we can't hear it now. I know. <sighs> Gotta wait for that book. <laughs> I make that money. Uh, all right, we have a lot more to get to, so uh, stick around. Thanks to Third Love for supporting Muller. She wrote, Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. Just take Third Love's online fit finder quiz, answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in less than a minute, then order and try on at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. Plus, they have the perfect fit promise. If it doesn't fit, send it back. Uh, you can try it for 60 days. Wash it, wear it, and if it's not the perfect fit, send it back. They'll donate it. They'll wash it and donate it to somebody in need. Uh, when it comes to finding a good fit, breast shape matters. Other companies don't take that into account. And then I'm walking around feeling uncomfortable all day. But Third Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that best fit your body. They use data points generated by the over 14 million women who've already taken their Fit Finder quiz to date uh, to design bras with the perfect fit and feel. They're the most comfortable bra I've ever owned. They're lightweight, super thin memory foam cups mold to your shape. They have straps that won't slip or dig and tagless labels for no itching. They offer more sizes than any other brands, over 80 sizes, including their signature half cup size. With their perfect fit promise, every customer has 60 days, like I said, to wash it and wear it and put it to the test. If you don't love it, return it. Free exchanges, free returns, no hassles. They'll wash it and donate it. Um, This supports charities in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States, which I love. So, Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. Right now, they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash AG now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash AG for 15% off today. All right, welcome back. Hey, Jordan. Yes. What's going on with Russia and the UK? Yeah, so uh, an official report has revealed that Boris Johnson's party has received money from nine Russian donors that appear to have links to the Kremlin, and Boris Johnson has been suppressing the release of those uh, facts. So the report was conducted by Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee. So this is a very, very official report that he is just blatantly trying to block from getting to the public. He apparently blocked the publishing of the report because he's afraid it's going to make him lose the next election. And he said that it might be embarrassing, uh, quote unquote. So one of the names of the donors include Alexander Tamerko. He's a former Russian defense ministry person and uh, someone who apparently has gone around bragging that the prime minister is his friend. So not a good look. <laughs> uh, friends. Yeah, friends. Apparently some of the names also have a lot of ties, like really strong ties to the FSB. So there's a lot of flags raised there. Why are you getting so much money from former intelligence people, from former Soviet intelligence people? The Labor Party's election coordinator, Andrew Gwynn, said this. 
the Tories blocked this report and opposed tax transparency so their billionaire backers can continue to rip us off unchallenged, end quote. Mm. What a painfully familiar scenario that is. Yeah, I don't know what that's like at all. Yeah. Uh, and Foreign Officer Minister Christopher Pincher has said he is definitely a, a Boris sympathizer. He said, when the Prime Minister has concluded that the report is publishable, he will publish it. End quote. So he's kind of just his own bar, basically. Mm-hmm. Boris is his own AG. That's that's like that's an interesting <laughs> difference, I think. That that Trump, if this were happening to Trump as it is, he uh, is putting <laughs> everything on bar, saying, you know, these are bars. Oh God, sorry. <laughs> these are these are like bars memos, yeah. and um, the onus really he gets to sort of step away from in terms of how the information of these investigations is delivered to the public whereas boris is just saying no i'm the one that's going to you know decide and people around him are supporting that that's how it seems at least it's interesting isn't it yeah if i'm incorrect in that interpretation folks that know more about this than me please let me know but it really does seem that way that he's just getting away with just being like yeah what of it i'm not gonna i don't want it to come out and that's it and i'll decide when it will and how Hmm. I wonder if he thinks he's the most transparent prime minister in the history of the oh, UK. Sure. <laughs> Here's one thing you need to know about Boris, which I think speaks volumes about him. One of my little tidbits from living in London. Um, when he was mayor of London, he ordered this whole new fleet of buses. But rather than like, I don't know, like research the best designers for public transportation, he hired a friend. Totally. I'm sure we'll get corrections about this if I'm wrong. But as far as I know, he hired a friend to do it. And then they sucked and had no air conditioning and no airflow. And public transportation in London is really crowded. So he basically was like, whatever, I'm just going to hire my friend to do it. Is like, it that they sucked or that they could save money? I mean, I think it was, <laughs> a, well, they weren't, they weren't cheap. They yeah. were really expensive. They looked fancy, yeah. but worked like shit, which Pocketed is then. essentially the same bullshit that Trump does, where mm-hmm. it's like, it looks nice, doesn't fucking work, and I don't care about anyone. Yeah, your omelets suck. Yeah, so do your steaks, <laughs> so do your hotels. Your but yeah, bar. I think that just speaks volumes. Like sitting yeah. in a sweltering hot bus that looks fancy, but doesn't like meet your needs. Yeah, and it's one thing to give your friend a contract. It's another for them to do a shitty job. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so. that's how like shady government contracts often work. They're totally. often overpriced and underperform Mm -hmm. yes thank you for that yeah thanks Jordan yes Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the Trump assertion that he was merely trying to root out corruption in Ukraine when he asked for the investigations into 2016 in Burisma two big donors to Rick Perry launched a lucrative oil and gas exploration deal from the Ukrainian government right after Perry included one of the donors as a potential advisor to Zelensky the two men then got a 50 year contract to drill for oil and gas in Ukraine despite offering a lower bid than their only competitor in Ukraine so that seems pretty corrupt to, to me so yeah it does Sending Rick Perry over there uh, to, you know, because, you know, you, you're you withholding pence. I, I feel like that's a present and not a punishment, but mm-hmm. withholding pence from you know, showing up to your inauguration and, and you're trying to make the case that you want to root out corruption in general and that the Biden and Burisma and the 2016 investigations is just a small part of that uh, totally goes by the wayside when you're actually sending corrupt people over there to do corrupt things Mm -hmm. like rick perry Mm -hmm. setting up this 50-year oil and gas drilling contract uh yeah yeah where are the connections between that that contractor and rick perry 
Because um, they must exist somewhere. The contractor or the two people? Oh, yeah. They they donated yeah. to him heavy in Texas. Oh, to Rick Perry. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I was they were, they were the beginning uh, of that. Perry donors. LOL. My and, bad. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And, and, and these kinds of things happen all the time, uh, I imagine. And, uh, you know, there's there's just all sorts of this very, you know, because if you, like like Kent said, if you have an, a strong anti-corruption um program you're going to piss off corrupt people mm-hmm. and everything trump does seems to be like nancy pelosi says all roads with you lead to putin everything seems to be to not upset ukraine and that goes for this next story too jordan that you have about the navy mm-hmm. um yes yeah, so uh, this story comes out of testimony to congress actually by christopher anderson who was a top aide to former special envoy to ukraine kurt volker um, Anderson said that the White House canceled a Navy freedom of navigation operation in the Black Sea because Trump thought that CNN had reported on it in a way that would make it look hostile to Russia. And that made him upset. Um, this was just a routine operation, according to the Navy. And this operation was, by the way, coming the month after Russia had held a Ukrainian ship and its members captive in November of 2018. So the purpose of these freedom of navigation operations are pretty much what it sounds like to just patrol the waters and make sure trade and and travel like i shouldn't say travel because it's always for generally kind of like commercial purposes it seems um if the navy's involved in like a patrol but their job is to make sure that's the if you're what i read is like essentially if you're a ship and you have you're flying a flag of a sovereign state you're just not allowed to fuck with that person unless they fall into some sort of you know i guess language that would make them ineligible for category or something yeah yeah exactly um so those patrols are like very normal, but Trump totally honestly routine. just saw C- yeah saw CNN report, and it seems like that's what really was the kicker. He saw how CNN was reporting on something, and then took it and was like, "We'll just cancel it." Called Bolton in the middle of the night. Yeah, you up? Yeah, <laughs> hey bro, and, you up? Yeah. Um. So that's a question of whether or not maybe Russia directly asked him to do that in response to the reporting that came out or if he just on his own decided no I don't like how that looks could be either one I mean Mm -hmm. he's learned what makes Putin mad and and avoids it at all costs Mm -hmm. so um, thank you for that reporting Thanks. all roads lead to Putin Mm -hmm. Uh, as we all know the deadline for the Department of Justice to fish or cut bait in charging Andy McCabe or dropping the criminal investigation was Friday And during a court proceeding Thursday, Judge Reggie Walton took the Department of Justice to task on their ambiguity and refusal to shit or get off the pot. Uh, The case in question is a year-long FOIA battle between CREW, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, and the Department of Justice. Um, The the CREW was seeking documents pertaining to McCabe's firing from the FBI. Uh, And Reggie Walton, Judge Walton says, quote, This is not a hard case. I was a good prosecutor for a long time. Deciding whether or not you're going to charge someone with false statements or perjury is not that hard, factually or legally. Maybe politically, but not factually or legally. Uh, Walton complained that the ongoing investigation of McCabe may have been a smokescreen to stall the case demanding the documents. And he says, shouldn't I know whether the wool was being pulled over my eyes? Uh, I do have concerns about whether I was being manipulated into stopping this case from moving forward. Hmm. For the past year or so, the Department of Justice claimed that they couldn't hand off the FOIA records because of their ongoing criminal investigation into McCabe. About two months ago, it seemed the Department of Justice was on the verge of indicting him, but that did not happen. And requests made by McCabe's lawyers have gone ignored. 
Uh, this past Wednesday, Department of Justice said they would no longer block the documents in the FOIA case, but remained vague about the criminal investigation part. And when the judge pressured the Department of Justice to clarify, they were extremely ambiguous about it, hmm. uh, saying, quote, obviously, you know, that time has passed. There's various proceedings the government has to consider and various interests the government has to consider. The judge then ordered a closed-door ex parte hearing uh, with, with this asshole, after which no one indicated what went down, but the judge ordered the Department of Justice to start producing the documents in the FOIA case. As of Thursday, McCabe says he's gotten no definitive answer about the state of the criminal probe. He told me personally, don't spike the football yet. Uh, but ultimately, the judge said you have until November 15th to charge McCabe or release the documents, and they're going with releasing the documents. So, How much time and money and energy was fucking wasted on this? Oh, so much. God. There's so much going on at the Department of Justice with the investigation and the investigation, all the Inspector General bullshit reports on the investigation in the Mueller probe, uh, the, the FISA Inspector General thing, all of this stuff and, and these sort of b- bullshit. And this could have even been like we've always said, maybe the grand jury was there and they didn't come back with an indictment. Mm-hmm. And that and, you know, that's the end of it. And so they're not going to indict him. But maybe it was like Walton was fearing. Judge Walton was fearing. This was all just a ruse to prevent those documents from coming out uh, as long as possible. Right. A delay tactic, which right. is their only defense these days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so he's thinking maybe they made up the fact that they were criminally investigating McCabe to prevent these documents from coming out, but they're coming out. So that's that's what's happening. And, and, and DOJ might have just been like, all right, we delayed it as long as we could. Do we have a like a definitive release date for these documents? Uh-uh. No, not okay. yet. But they, they're, they've been ordered to release them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we still don't have the answer as to whether or not they're going to drop the case against McCabe. McCabe says he's waiting for the call. He'll gladly accept it. Yeah, what fucking mm-hmm. case? <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I've always said, look, even if they did charge him, it's not going to hold up. Yeah. And that would be it would be really not a wise decision for Jesse Liu, uh, who's the U.S. attorney, to to make that case. It's not a good case. Yeah. To your point, Amanda, just about how this is such a waste, right? It's like mm-hmm. a waste of taxpayer dollars yeah. and time and resources. This is an actual waste. And then meanwhile, we have Republicans right now on the House Intelligence Committee that are saying, for Ukraine gate, it was okay to withhold the aid because we needed to make sure that our hard-earned tax dollars were going to the right spot. So it's just, it's so, it's such a blatant hypocrisy. Yep. And also illegal, mm-hmm. according to the State Department Office of General Counsel. All right. We've got more show. Stick around for Hot Notes. We'll be right back. Hey, this is AG, and we want to thank Noom for supporting Muller She Wrote. Sticking to a weight loss plan can be hard, and there are so many new fad diets now. There's fasting and paleo and KLO, where you can only eat kale. Uh, there's keto. I heard of a pito, where you only eat peat moss. It's supposed to be very bad for you. I'm kidding. Personally, uh, I don't want to keep bouncing from one fad diet to another, so I'm trying something different called Noom. With Noom, you stop the yo-yo dieting and start learning how to lose weight for good. Take their easy 30-second online evaluation to see how much weight you can lose and keep off by recognizing the habits blocking your success and building new strategies to have real lifelong results. With Noom, you'll have a personalized trainer. Your uh, goal specialist is a behavioral change professional. You get a nutritional expert, a fitness trainer all in one. Uh, Noom puts weight loss in the palm of your hand. It's on your phone whenever you need it. Makes food tracking easy with one of the biggest food databases available. Plus, you get all the support from the Noom community, or as I call it the new immunity uh, with group discussions with fellow members to keep you encouraged. 
Noom is designed for results. It's out with the old habits and in with the new. So sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom dot com slash A-G to start your trial today. Again, that's Noom dot com slash A-G. Start losing weight for good. All right. Welcome back. Hot Notes. All right, welcome back. Time for Hot Notes. Jordan, what do you have for us today? Uh, it is Stephen Miller shit. Yeah, yeah he is He is the absolute uh, worst. And um, a report that was published by the Southern Poverty Law Center on Tuesday detailed further the extent of Trump's top immigration advisor, Stephen Miller's uh, white nationalist beliefs just straight up white nationalism the report takes from over 900 emails that miller exchanged with uh by or sent to breitbart between 2015 and 2016 so right obviously up until trump was getting elected the emails really show his fixation with the concept of i can't i'm I'm not calling it a concept it's a conspiracy theory called white genocide uh which is obviously not a thing and just purely exists as a concept to convince people to allow horrifically racist acts and policies to take place in this country. It is not a thing. White genocide is not a thing. If you hear anybody say that, please, for the love of God, call them out and talk to them about how fucked up that is and ask for any proof whatsoever that that is a thing that exists and they will not be able to because it does not. He was also very focused on uh, limiting non-white immigration as much as possible in these emails too. So that directly leads right into Trump's policies, obviously. Um, And the White House's response to this report, guess what? Uh, It is awful. White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham said, that the SPLC, that's again the Southern Poverty Law Center, they said SPLC is, quote, an utterly discredited, long debunked, far left smear organization, end quote. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what she said. The Southern Poverty Law Center. The Southern Poverty Law Center. That's what she said. It's the furthest thing from the truth. And this pissed me off reading this so much because I know the incredible work that they do and have done over time so if it's okay really quick i wanted to read from wikipedia a couple of the really important cases uh that they've done i mean they're continuously doing these but um this is an example so in 1987 splc won a case against the united clans of america for the lynching of michael donald a black teenager in mobile alabama the splc used an unprecedented legal strategy of holding an organization responsible for the crimes of individual members to help produce a seven million dollar judgment for the victim's mother the verdict forced united clans of america into bankruptcy so that's it doesn't get more legitimate than that making really important restitutions honestly and and act of violence and racial violence that unfortunately obviously can't really be made up for but their dedication to trying to get as much fiscal remedies as they can for the families affected by these crimes and the individuals affected by these crimes is demonstrated over the last like 50 years i think they've been around for 48 years now so for her to say that they're an illegitimate organization is just so offensive and the fact that it's just going to be something that kind of goes over a lot of people's heads really fucking sucks yeah well i suppose if you are a dictator you will disparage the one group that is best at tracking hate crimes yeah um yeah it's now congressmen and women are calling on stephen miller to resign I guess if they didn't have a reason to do it before, this is more this is more of an explicit reason. If you can pair that call for resignation with the proof of these emails and the 
truly racially violent speech and ideas that he continues to advocate for. So, Stephen Miller, resign. You fucking suck. Everybody hates you. That's that's the end of that. I like it. I like your ending. Yeah. I like your conclusion. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick interesting thing here that popped up uh, across my desk. Uh, Donald Trump is now, uh, about an hour ago, uh, more witness intimidation. He says on Twitter, tell Jennifer Williams, whoever that is, to read both transcripts of the presidential calls and see that just released statement from Ukraine. Then she should meet with other never Trumpers who I don't know, mostly even never heard of and work out a better presidential attack. So she's he's calling out, continues to call out witnesses by name. I can't imagine that anybody in the White House has advised him to keep doing this. Um, but uh, that's what's happening with that. Um and my hot note today is a stunning revelation this week from the New York Times that I'm surprised isn't getting any traction in, in the mainstream media, likely because we're impeaching the president. I can't really blame everybody. Uh, and Manafort is already in prison, and this is about him. The headline reads, Manafort's 2016 Gambit, a back channel from Trump camp to labor. According to three people close to the Trump campaign, Manafort sought to open a background, a back channel, excuse me, to the AFL-CIO that typically backs Democrats, big union, in an effort to get them to scale back their get-out-the-vote efforts uh, in Michigan and Wisconsin specifically. Manafort enlisted a go-between with high-ranking officials within the AFL-CIO to suggest a mutually beneficial relationship. Uh, the bribe, as we like to call them here, is that Trump would take it easy on his support of right-to-work laws in exchange for the AFL-CIO to take it easy on encouraging their members to vote. Oh, my God. That's disgusting. Gross. Isn't that horrifying? Um, the intermediary's name is Stephen Brown, and he worked for Manafort in Ukraine in 2013, because of course he did. And he was in touch with a guy named uh, Don Slayman from the Union from AFL-CIO. Slayman initially denied contact with Brown, but then later had to admit he'd communicated with him repeatedly during the 2016 election when emails surfaced. When asked about it, Slayman denied discussions discussing such a deal, saying, quote, he wanted to meet with me. Brown wanted to meet with me. I never did. I responded to him because we regularly communicate with Democrats and Republicans. Our focus is pro-labor, not party identification. Those con artists, these con artists were delusional if they believed the labor movement would enter into such a deal. Uh, Mr. Brown's involvement continued after the campaign, after Trump won. In January 2017, Richard Trumka, the Federation's president, met with Mr. Trump, then president-elect, in New York. And Mr. Brown helped set that meeting up, according to officials on both sides, and and actually escorted Trumka upstairs from the Trump Tower lobby himself. Interesting note, Mr. Brown is now in prison. (laughs) Oh, God. For a scheme to defraud investors in film productions. Wow. He could not be reached. His two most recent lawyers said they could not speak for him. Him and Whitaker are BFFs or what? (laughs) There's a lot of film production money laundering scheme shit going on. Like with the ice tea thing and the, not the ice tea thing, but the Jolo and Mnuchin owned a production company and had to sell that to one of his, I don't know. I mean... Trump comes from a TV background. These people are all connected, right? Yeah, that is true. But also, aside from Mr. Brown... It's a really good... Sorry, it's a really good mm -hmm. money laundering cover. Yes. Mm -hmm. Film production. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. If you can slap your name onto some production company or whatever, I mean, that's like like the amount of money that's coming through those organizations is insane. But on top of the movie industry, there's also just... Yeah, people... I like made a reference to Matthew Whitaker, but just fraudulent behavior, just lying to consumers in one way or another, or misusing funds in one way or another. Although for something like this, it seems like everybody's kind of in on it, and it doesn't really... It's not as much as a 
effect on the consumer as it is an effect on our democracy and legal system in general. But. Yeah. And, and bribery is really hard to prove uh, on a criminal level. Not at an impeachment level, but on a criminal level. So I don't think we're going to see any superseding Manafort indictments for this. Plus, he's pretty much in jail till he dies. So I don't know that the, you know, they, they wouldn't like the prosecutors wouldn't take up the other uh, counts that he would that were they were hung on. And he they could have easily retried those in one. And so I don't think they'll spend the taxpayers money to look into this any further either. But it is a really gross story Yeah, to, to try to suppress the union vote in Michigan and Wisconsin where, you know, Trump basically won the election with a handful of votes i mean this 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 is dirty but it rings true to the to the wider republican strategy of suppressing the vote that's why they gerrymander that's why they that's, that's all they do gerrymander suppress the vote exactly. take away people's ids exactly move your voting places make it hard yes or 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 you know have um you know extremely harsh sentencing for nonviolent crimes and then people use their um mm-hmm. people people lose their right to vote and it's just like or have the russians uh, tweet out exactly. the, the wrong election there's, day or that you can vote for hillary by text i mean there's a million ways yeah. they try to suppress their tactic the is just voter suppression because they know if it was one person one vote they would lose every single time. yeah and the more people who vote the better democrats do yes. yeah and also on top of that Biden, who he clearly sees or saw as his biggest political opponent, is super, super big with labor rights communities. And so going after AFL-CIO directly seems like a direct attack, honestly, on Biden's constituency. Well, this is 2016, though. Yeah. But just in in general, though, I mean, assuming they're going to run for reelection, right, if you can get in with that organization. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and Mm -hmm. I think also one of the focuses here was they knew that Hillary didn't go to Michigan and Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And and so, oh, vulnerable vulnerabilities. And also, by the way, Kalimnik and the KGB, here's some polling data from those states yeah that is true about her campaign though i mean there was an absence of her being on the front lines in some of these like working communities in the places where he won because presumably she was going to clean the floor exactly so okay so sorry this happened in 2016 how much before the election this was leading up to the election leading up this to was the election. him trying to, to yeah to just to, to take votes away from hillary okay yeah so you're right he's not having biden in mind he's just having hillary in mind hillary's not particularly like a super popular person though with like labor rights orgs I no guess. not as not as much as joe biden is, yeah like just aside saying. from being and a democrat so in general but they should watch for that kind of backdoor union dealing in this election specifically mm-hmm. if particularly if biden remains a front runner mm-hmm. yeah uh, and and also bernie and war i mean all the democratic um nominees are, are pretty much super pro i mean that's where the unions generally vote and to to go into these particular states and have them suppress the get out the vote initiatives in exchange for being going easy on right to work laws i mean i guess that's a policy exchange um but you know but it is it is an interference in the election it is i you know i i don't know if how illegal it is i i just know it's pretty dirty yeah that's a good question if there isn't some sort of language that lays out how that's not okay there should be yeah but like i can go and i can if i were you know a campaign chairman for for a democrat i could go to the afl cio have meetings and say get your get out the vote because the more union votes more for democrats but that's more of a 
get out the vote tactic, not a voter suppression tactic. Exactly. I think the language around the law should be look like exchanging things for money. Well, that's a whole wider well, anything issue that suppresses votes. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So I th- any any policy should be written explicitly around how it is not allowed or illegal to work with an organization to knowingly suppress votes. Right. And on top of that, using your fi- your campaign funds to do so, because if he's paying Manafort to do that work, then isn't it conceivable that that could also that should chalk up to some sort of you're paying money to ha- to get someone to help you suppress votes right. well that's why he didn't pay manafort technically for his work and it w- all came through packs that were uh you know shored up by illegal foreign straw donations i wondered if lawyers could do their thing and uh show that obviously that was money that was still going to him yeah but on top on top of that we need to give the fec some teeth mm-hmm. uh so the Federal yeah. Elections Commission. They're, yeah. they're sort of just a... Right. What was that thing where they like they weren't going to be there to vote on something for, for like a long time? I, I'm totally... This There's, they don't, they don't have a quorum. They don't have a quorum right now. They don't have enough people right. to even do anything. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Read in my mind. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. For sure. That is a big difference between living here and living in the places I've lived before is like... And granted, I mean, things have gotten a little more corrupt in, in my home country's over the last few years, but um, misuse of like election funds or campaign funds or or any sort of like funds corruption, I felt like smaller things were a way bigger deal. At Citizens home. United, exactly. But here, when I got here, I was like, oh shit, okay, so it's a problem, but it's just out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, remnant. Uh, all right, are you all ready for sabotage? According to three U.S. officials, Rudy Giuliani is being investigated by federal prosecutors for campaign finance violations, failing to register as a foreign agent, conspiracy to defraud the United States, bribery and extortion. And he also has a counterintelligence on the side, little side hustle for him in this in this gig economy, in the crime gig economy. So knowing that, let's play the Fantasy Indictment League. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be indicted! No, it is going to be a- indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm gonna be indicted! Oh, they can't. It's gonna be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm gonna be indicted! All right, before we get into our picks, before we get into the draft, we have some fun convictions this week, including Manafort's son-in-law getting a yo-hi, yo-yo-yo-hi, I think, getting nine years for being an asshole. And of course, Roger Stone was found guilty on all seven counts, including lying to Congress, um, sending a timely message, as I said, from the Mueller era to people testifying now in the impeachment hearings. Don't lie. His sentencing is February 6th. Again, we bet 7 to 9. You're, you're at 10, Mandy. Four. And you're at 4. Mm-hmm. But we also had a superseding indictment in the Concord management case this week. Didn't get a lot of news. Uh, I read through it from what I can gather. It seems, though, this superseding indictment is to clarify the crime committed by Concord and Prigozhin by funding the Internet Research Agency. So if you had a Russian or a Russians or a rando Russian or Concord management on your team, give yourself a point. Nice. Woohoo. All right, now, I forget whose turn it is. Did I go first in Boston? Uh, I believe you did go first in Boston. Damn it. You get to go first. I will take the notes. Yeah, I think you did. I'm yeah, not I think sure. I did too. Okay, so. cool. Okay, good, because that'd be a very bad look for me. <laughs> I think you did. Giuliani. Yeah, fuck her. <laughs> also Giuliani. No. Um, uh, can I pick Netanyahu? Sure. I know he's not interesting. Well, I know he's not. Uh, you know, it's definitely not related that? to Mueller stuff. It's not related to Mueller stuff. Although Israel, you know what? I can connect it in six the six si- degrees or side less. group. Yeah, Mossad, mm-hmm. side group, Zamel. Black Cube, Zamel, yeah. WikiLeaks, 
Nader Netanyahu. But uh, you're talking about his corruption. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to be the referee, I'd say that doesn't count. Okay. All right. Then I'll, right. I'm I'm asking. I don't know. I mean, you created this entire project. That's true, but and this is all yours, so you totally can. Uh, yours. Okay, <laughs> yes. for no points, I I bet he's going to be indicted. But then for my points, I'm going to pick uh, Nader. Perfect. There we go. Yeah, why waste a pick? You know. Um, okay, because I could have gotten points for Netanyahu. He's totally getting indicted this week. Put mm. some beans on it. How about this? Fresh beans. How about how about for this week? <laughs> we say since the Netanyahu calls on the fence. We'll allow Netanyahu in the indictment league this week. What about that? Well, because then everyone will pick him. Yeah. Half a point. I think I think it really <laughs> should be Americans. I really do. Fine. Okay. Fair enough. I do. How about and, and, and that was a, that was a Russians. real long way around to get to Netanyahu, you know. <laughs> so because like Yohai wouldn't have counted Manafort's son-in-law. I don't. I wouldn't have counted him. So Netanyahu shouldn't count either. But I'm going okay. to just say beans on him being indicted and, and make Nader my first pick. Okay. Um, I'm going to do. Tom Barrick. Of course. Obviously. Excellent. Jislaine uh, for me. Nice. Maxwell. Um, I'm going to go with superseding Parnas. Oh, all right. Okay. Then I'm going to go superseding Fruman. He seems to be less cooperating. That's who I meant. Ah! But that was my bad. Yeah, sorry. As I was saying it, I was like, I don't remember who's who, <laughs> but I'm just going to go with Parnas. Well, then, can I do a plea deal? Can I change it to a plea deal? Yeah, you can do a uh, um, Parnas with a plea deal. Beautiful. Uh, I need some sort of mnemonic device in my head to keep them separated. Pa- let's see. Who? Okay, Freeman, Freeman is less co- uh, fucker, Igor. fucker Freeman. Yeah, Igor is less cooperative. There we go. Cool. Okay. <clears throat> so far, it could change. Yeah. Um. It's your turn or my turn? Uh. I. Picked... You both have three so far. Yeah. Okay. Your, cool. Your so turn. then it's me. All right. Let's do AMI. All right. I'm gonna go Trump Org. And I will do Pecker Throwback. You selected Pecker. Uh, I get one more. You do <clears throat> have one more. Yes. Kawaja. Hmm. You know, we haven't talked about uh, Epstein and, and Ghislaine Gislaine, but man, we got to talk about that this week. I have some feelings. Okay. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We'll get into it later. But okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. It's Just, a whole... Did you guys see the interview with um, Prince Andrew this week? Oh, he yeah. Was like, yeah, I wasn't... I wasn't hang- I, I, oh, no, oh. I didn't. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday's Beans. Yeah, yeah. Cool. For sure. It's coming up in the script. Uh, all right. We'll be right back with the interview. Stick around. Hey, everybody. When I was a kid, my folks would make home movies on the camcorder of all of our family trips and vacations. We would have negatives that my dad would do slideshows with. We'd go camping. Some of the most fun times we've ever had. And I wanted to dig up these old analog tapes and negatives and photos and see if they could still be watched or restored. And I discovered the answer was Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos with over a decade of experience and hundreds of thousands of families that have trusted Legacy Box to preserve their memories. Legacy Box is by far the best and easiest way to convert all your old analog media to DVD, thumb drive, or even convenient digital downloads so you can share with friends and family. The process is super easy. You go online, purchase the box that you need. They send you a Legacy Box kit. You fill it with all your media, slap on the prepaid mailing label, and send it back. And in a couple weeks, Legacy Box sends you back the originals, plus perfectly preserved digital copies, ready to watch, share, and relive. 
Our past shapes our future, so preserve your precious memories and protect them for future generations with Legacy Box. It also makes an amazing holiday gift. Get started preserving your past today. Go to LegacyBox.com AG to get 40% off your first order. It's like the biggest savings I've ever seen. Save your time and memories. Go to LegacyBox.com AG and save 40% today. You'll be glad you did. Joining us now is author, lawyer, NBC News opinion contributor, and documenter, librarian of the Trump impeachment, Terry Canefield. Terry, thanks for being on Mueller, she wrote. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I've been following your work for a while. It's incredibly informative. And just last week, when we were in Boston during the Q&A for one of our live shows, one of our listeners said, we need to have Terry Canefield on the show. And I was like, you know, that's a really brilliant idea. So here we are. Um one week into the public-facing impeachment hearings. And I was hoping, for those who might not be familiar with your work, if you could talk a little bit about what you're doing during this impeachment process. Well, a few months ago, I was asked to be on a panel talking about the constitutional aspects of impeachment. And so I, I did a little research and, um, you know, just a general background in, you know, in law and constitutional law. So as I was preparing for this panel, the impeachment story broke. And that was when it was clear that there was going to be the whistleblower um, information came out. And so I was sort of on it from the beginning. And I started just basically reading every document that came out. And um, I I should say, as as an appellate lawyer, what what appellate lawyers spend most of their time doing is reading court transcripts and writing little summaries of them, which we call statements of facts. Mm -hmm. And so I'm um, I've basically been reading depositions and transcripts for 15 years and writing up summaries. So um, it was sort of natural to, I guess, launch in. That's really amazing. Uh, I mean, because I haven't really started. I don't have a background until probably about two and a half years ago of reading court documents and transcripts and indictments and charging documents. And uh, I'm into it now. But with your, you know, 15 plus years of experience, reading them and summarizing them, I think that that just comes in very handy when trying to actually reduce these uh, 400, 300 page transcripts down to, you know, consumable pieces of media, because that's sort of what this entire public facing hearing is about, isn't it? Is to get Americans uh, on board with at least understanding the aspects of the case, whether they agree with or not is obviously up to them. But we need to boil it down into these, uh, you know, understandable bites. Uh, and I think that um, that's, you know, where one of your strengths, your major strength lies, right? Well, it turned out to be um, something that I put public. Basically, I started keeping notes myself, because I can't understand it unless I take my notes. And yes, I color code my notes. And, um, and so I started integrating all of the evidence um, where I was evaluating and only using, you know, sworn testimony, trying to um, do it as you know, very solid work for myself. And then um, actually, I got the idea just to make my notes public. And so, um, and so I actually updated in real time, I just, um, my husband is pretty good with websites. And so I joke that he magically turned all of my notes into a WordPress site. (laughs) And so, um, and so I can't, I can't um, read somebody else's outlines or read somebody else's opinions and summaries. I have to do it myself. And um, that's probably, you know, law school, you know, just sort of what, um, you know, there are a lot of summaries out there, a lot of um, people commenting on what what's in the depositions. Yeah. And I, 
I find I I can't absorb that. I have to do it myself. It's like it's like taking your own notes in a lecture. I totally feel that because I generally the way that I kind of get a grasp on everything and integrate all of the different, you know, data points is by taking my own notes and, and reporting on it and talking to others about it. I'm I'm one of those learners where if I tell someone else about it, uh, then I learn and then I get little flags of my own ideas and my own, you know, uh, opinions. And so I think that that, you know, that really speaks to me. And so I think that therefore, you know, you're, you the way that you summarize these these uh, massive amounts of data will also speak to 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 our listeners. So can you I don't know it's so much I don't even know where to start but what 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 are some of the highlights of what you've come up with so far? Well, um, one of the things that I would say is there's a there's an overview and the overview is just simply, um, there was a coordinated shakedown. A shakedown is, is I'm avoiding legal terms here. Um, there was a shakedown. So Donald Trump decided I, it looks like the decision was made at the end of 2018, uh, which I think is not a coincidence because they, there was a bit of a, a, a bloodbath in the election. And at the end of 2018, after the midterms, it was quite clear that, um, that w- without doing something sort of desperate, he would not win re-election. And so the the plan got started in, at the end of 2018. And it was just very simply a plan to pressure Ukraine into announcing an investigation of the Bidens. And so um, I think what what happened, if my conclusion after sort of going through, also, also I should add that my area of expertise in law is criminal defense. Um, I did criminal defense appeals. And most everybody out there right now are um, they're prosecutors. But I come into it from a defense viewpoint. And so I tend to read this as what's going on with these criminal defendants, basically. And it looks to me like, in a nutshell, Donald Trump and Giuliani overreached. That they came up with this plan that sounds simple. Well, we'll just get Ukraine to open an investigation. But the problem is that to execute this requires involving multiple levers of government. And lots of people had to know what was going on, even though they tried to keep it in a narrow channel. And so what, you en- what they ended up with are witnesses all over the place. So that's basically um, what seemed to them, I'm sure, like a fairly simple thing to do. And I don't doubt that they have that Donald Trump during, you know, the first few years of his um, presidency did this. He did leverage um, government and foreign policy for his own benefit, but he never got caught. And um, also speaking experience um, working with criminal defendants is that very often people do get caught when they overreach or they push their luck or they act from desperation. And so what we what we see happening are all of these witnesses coming out because you can't do this kind of a shakedown of a foreign government without lots and lots of people getting a whiff of what's happening. Yeah, that's very true. And obviously, this is an impeachment uh, proceeding and not a federal criminal proceeding. But from a from a criminal defense perspective, does the fact that Trump went through the Mueller investigation sort of poke holes in a defense 
Because I, I feel like maybe their only defense could have been lack of corrupt intent or, you know, not having willful knowledge of the defense. Too dumb to crime, basically, which is why Junior wasn't prosecuted for the, the June 9th, 2016 meeting. Does the fact that Trump and his associates, having gone through the Mueller investigation, sort of diminish that defense? Well, I don't think there is there's a defense here that they were ignorant of what they were doing. I mean, I think they they're trying for different sorts of defenses. You know, when when they say, well, you know, um, I I don't I haven't heard anybody say that. Um, I've I've heard them say there's nothing wrong with what they did, and I think they can believe that. So no, I I, I I'm not seeing that as a defense because. Trump believed that he did nothing wrong in the Mueller probe. He believed he, he did nothing wrong. And I think that he believes that he has the right to do what he did. And so, um, so I, I don't think we could say, well, he should have he known from Mueller that he shouldn't be um, meddling. I think it's, I think it's more – I'm, I'm not sure intent is even an issue here. I think it's um, – I think it's more I think what they tried to do for a defense was isolate the president. You could see that coming out as a defense. Not that um, he didn't do it, not that that Sondland was sort of a free agent and that people were acting without um, Donald Trump's orders. Well, that phone call uh, overheard by David Holmes and a couple other folks in uh, outdoor terrace in Kiev sort of blows a hole in that defense. (laughs) <laughs> right. So exactly. So what so that's what we see. Initially, the defense was, well, it's all hearsay and that um, that the president actually never nobody ever has any record of the president saying anything. And of course, it's really ridiculous because the reason we don't have the evidence is because he's preventing people from coming forward. But that aside, I think the defense was initially that nobody could pin anything on the president. And that's actually you see this a lot. This is. um what you see in sort of mobster cases, you see this in mafia kind of cases where we all know how the game goes, right? The top, the person at the top gives the orders to one person without witnesses. Mm. And that person gives the order to somebody else without witnesses. And um, I had a, I had a client once, it was called a, a mule, where he got paid $20,000 to take a package of, I think it was cocaine from one place to another. But there was a chain above him mm. so that he only got the orders from one person who mm. got the orders from someone else. And it's very easy to insulate the person at the top, which is you make one link of the chain disappear. That seems to be what's happening with Pence as well. I feel like he's been very insulated. And then that also allows these kind of mafia types to use the defense, you know, hearsay, third hand, fourth hand information and so, you know, we're we're back kind of, you know, with that's just not the case anymore. But and we've always wondered this from uh, and I'd be interested for your from your opinion, from a criminal defense point of view, um, how corrupt intent. I know that corrupt intent isn't really even a possible defense in this case, but how how can you even look at corrupt intent uh, and apply it to people who truly believe they are? aren't breaking the law. I mean, I don't see how you could possibly have corrupt intent if you're so privileged you think you're above it. Well, okay, so this is, let's talk about something, um, we call it mens rea, which is a criminal state of mind. So basically what I'm going to tell you is a lot more complicated than that. So we talk, you can't be convicted of a crime without 
something called mens rea. There's two parts of a crime. There is actus rea, which is the act itself, and then there's mens rea, which is the intent. And so, so both of these things are present in all crimes, with the exception of certain crimes that don't require an intent, like um, it won't get into the exceptions, but almost all crimes have a mens rea. And a mens rea doesn't necessarily mean that you know it's illegal or you know it's a crime. You just have to know what you're doing. Oh, I see. So, so each crime, so when it gets more complicated, each crime has a mens rea. So if you look up any crime, like let's say you look up the federal extortion statute, then what you're going to find in there is a, is a level of the mens rea, um, which is what level does the person have to have? So do they have to have an intent to commit this particular act? Do they have to have, do they have to, in some cases you have to know it's wrong. In some cases you only have to know that you are committing this act and that you have an intent to. And so it doesn't, so that's why I don't think intent or criminal intent is, um, is really a defense here. Mm -hmm. It's also not a defense because in impeachment and in removal, we don't have the criminal standards. Right. So it's also completely so but they are using sort of defenses um but it's really important to steer this away from the kinds of you know defenses that you talk about or or the standards that you talk about in a criminal trial so in a criminal trial it's really really hard because you have to prove the mens rea beyond a reasonable doubt and we have these really high standards because we don't want to be putting people in jail or taking their lives without a, a, a very high standard and in an impeachment and a removal, really, it's, he's losing his job as president. Yeah, and I thought that's why it was really interesting that this week Nancy Pelosi came out uh, using the term bribery over and over again. Uh, I had advocated for this, you know, on social media, talked about it on the podcast, saying we need to get away from quid pro quo. We need to talk about bribery, although crimes, federal crimes, beyond a reasonable doubt, are not required in impeachment hearings. I think that what happened here, this shakedown, and I know we were trying to avoid using legal terms, could amount to bribery. I've talked to a lot of formal, former uh, federal prosecutors who say that they could easily get a bribery charge uh, on here, or at least you know bring it. Whether they could uh, obtain it and maintain it uh, is, is a different story. But I was wondering what your thought about her moving from quid pro quo to bribery was because I likened it to Mueller trying to move away from the word collusion and move toward the word conspiracy. Now he was obviously doing a criminal investigation, but uh, and this is um, an impeachment. As I said, we 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 need to draw those clear lines. So I'm wondering how what you thought of her her use of the term bribery. Well, I was surprised. Um, I did notice that when you listen to her full quote, she does couch it. She still talks mostly about abuse of power mm-hmm. and about, um, you know, she's, she's cloaking it, it in that abuse of power language. But she did throw out bribery. And there are, there are two things that I want to say. The first is that bribery it, it, um, is mentioned in the Constitution as an impeachable defense. It's one of the few. We have high crimes, misdemeanors, you know, treason and bribery. So bribery is there. Um, and this is really important. Well, and that's why I was arguing for it. To inter- I didn't mean to interrupt you real quick, but I just wanted to like, that's why I was arguing for the term bribery. It's right there in Article 1, right? Right. But here's, okay, so there's bribery as we understand it now uh, in the federal criminal code. And there's bribery as it was understood at the time of the founders. And so I think that um, I'm surprised I'm surprised she did that. But 
The problem right now with talking about bribery is that the Supreme Court in recent cases, recent meaning the last 10, 10, 15 years, in recent cases, the Supreme Court has made it very, very difficult to, um, to, to get a conviction on bribery. So that's why I think your, um, your prosecutors are saying they could charge it, but getting a conviction is very difficult because of the way that the Supreme Court has um, sort of defined the elements of bribery. So when you talk about what's impeachable and you talk about um, crimes that are impeachable, what we have to remember is that the federal criminal code, as we understand it now, did not exist um, at the time the Constitution was written. And they really would not have known or predicted that we would have the kind of federal criminal code that we have, because at the time, they probably weren't thinking that crimes were going to be federal. Crimes were really basically defined by in the states. Right. And when Ben Franklin was arguing uh, at the Constitutional Convention about including impeachment in the Constitution, his example was for you know, if the president uh, accepted a bribe to help him from a foreign country to help him win an election. That was the example uh, that they used, which is exactly what's happening here. And, and you're right. They did. They weren't talking about federal criminal law, which is very difficult. Which is very, so as a criminal defense lawyer, I can tell you that it's become very, it is very difficult to convict somebody of a crime. And the reason, and that's what our defense is all the time. We're always saying, but have you met the standard of proof? Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's very difficult because, because we don't want to be putting people in, in jail without this high standard. But for losing your job as president, the standard, the criminal standards aren't there. Also, the, the federal criminal code, with the way that the Supreme Court has tightened up the requirements for bribery, weren't there. They meant something at the time very specific, and they meant bribery almost um, synonymous with, with abuse of power. So I would expect that when we see the articles of impeachment, they will be framed as abuse of power. If there is, if the word bribery, I'll, I'll go ahead and make a prediction. I usually don't make predictions, but I would say if the word, if the word bribery appears, it's in one of the articles and it's not how, how the, the framing will be done. And if it does appear, it will be, it will be clear what, you know, that they're, how they're using the word bribery. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think I, I that's also sort of what we've been predicting. We we love predicting things uh, uh, is that, you know, there'll be an abuse of power article and, and bribery could be subsumed under that article, like there would be an obstruction of justice, obstruction of Congress article and witness intimidation would be under under that, uh, for example, for what he you know, was tweeting at Marie or Masha Yovanovitch when when she was testifying this week. And, and so and then also you could put you could you know, mix in the all of the work Mueller did on the obstruction of justice, uh, you know, which actually I thought by in reading his report, he met the criminal standards for several of those. Uh, but it, it wouldn't be outlined like that. I, I agree with you on that. I think it would be subsumed in, in broader articles or defined, you know, how it is that they're that they're defining it. But yeah, I, I think we, we're all doing that, right? We're all sometimes I'll start writing the articles of impeachment in my head. (laughs) I'll admit it. Um, But, you know, it's, it's clear that there will, I I would expect also that at least one of the articles of impeachment is going to be so clear that it's very, that 
it's going to be very difficult for these Republicans. I think they will also vote to acquit. A lot, a lot of them will vote to acquit. But I would expect something, even like, remember when Schiff in the last testimony, when he was talking about um, the whistleblower, they went on and on about he had promised the whistleblower would testify. And then when he had his chance to speak, he gave some really startling quotations from the president that the president called for execution and death penalty and that really the whistleblower's life was threatened. Mm-hmm. And so when I write the articles of impeachment in my head, what I do is I separate that out and I make it one article mm-hmm. that, you know, the endangering of lives of citizens as part of a um, witness tampering or witness intimidation mm. and that specifically threatening the life of, you know, endangering the life of a citizen who might be a, a witness. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, I mean, you know, back in, in that uh, in those days, which was only a, a few weeks ago, when Schiff was talking about having the whistleblower testify, we didn't have 15 other corroborating witnesses making the testimony of the whistleblower moot. But he didn't even go there. He said, look, the president threatened to friggin execute this guy. And I take it. I take it. I mean, because that's much more powerful yeah. that that he's threatening life. So if I were writing the articles of impeachment, let's see if someone wants to hire me to do it over there. <laughs> I would. I would take that as, as an article. I would, I would separate it out so that it has to have a separate vote so that you have to force the Republican senators to say, I acquit. The president can threaten a life. So they vote on each individual article in, in, uh, I'm pretty in sure, this? Yeah. Okay, well, then that makes it uh, very different, a very different sort of strategy, like you said, because ultimately, I agree with you. I think they'll acquit him in the Senate unless, you know, the the sentiment of among Americans is that 70 plus percent, maybe 60 or 70 plus percent want his removal. Uh, but to hold, I thought, you know, it was just to hold him accountable for whether he did any of it or none of it, like a pass fail. But if they go by article, then yeah, it would be really important and especially, um, you know, helpful if you're a Democrat in the elections in 2020. So even if they do it as a yes, no vote, so that you can't vote individually for the articles, which could make sense. Um, I, I mean, actually, that doesn't make sense to me. But let, let's suppose they did it. Let's suppose they have like we have five articles of impeachment and all you get to do is say thumbs up or thumbs down. Mm-hmm. So it works the same way. Right. Because if one of the articles of impeachment is something really obvious, you know, really outrageous and where it's very difficult you know, by the way, sort of backing up, remember at the beginning, the defense was, but there was no crime. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when Schiff went on about this witness intimidation, I'm thinking, well, oh my gosh, there's a crime. So you don't have to talk about crimes in each article, but if you've got witness intimidation, witness tampering, in plain sight, threatening the life of, of not just a, a potential witness, but a whistleblower. If you have that as a separate article, that's obviously a crime. And so that's the, remember, that was one of the initial defenses that there was no crime. So if they're broken out and they, and they do a thumbs up or thumbs down, I think it still works the same way, although it gives them a little bit of cover. They can say, well, I, um, it's, it gives them a little bit of cover because they can say, well, I thought, you know, four of the five were so ridiculous I couldn't vote. Right. But on the other hand, they still, you only need one article of impeachment. You don't, right? Only, right. he only has to be guilty and of, you know, found guilty of one of the articles of impeachment. So it hadn't actually occurred to me that they would 
do a thumbs up, thumbs down on all of them? That's a, a good question. We haven't had that many impeachments to go back and look to see how it's done. But now I'm going to go back and see. But you're right. I mean, even if they give a thumbs down to the whole thing, then you can say, all right, even Article 2, where he lied to Mueller. Mm-hmm. Which I think I I personally want them to include in the articles of impeachment, because if we get those grand jury materials and he lied about, you know, Stone, unfortunately, he say I did not recall. But I think that's still an impeachable offense. But either way, yeah, you you would put a thumbs down to all of them and you could pick one out and say this. You said no to this and we're going to vote you out in 2020 for it. Personally, I think the president threatening the life of a citizen um, who's also a potential witness I think that is far more egregious than lying under oath. I mean, I know, and that's because, um, you know, pe- people lie when they're scared. Oh, agreed. I, I was just giving another example of a, of a potential article oh, okay. that, that, that could be obvious. I mean, they're all going to be pretty obvious, but, <laughs> you know. Right. So I think the, um, you know, separating out an article like that, I think it would, would be, you know, pretty incredible. And so... Or, Incredible in the sense that really putting people on the spot. How are they going to vote? What's it going to look like? Yep. And we still have a lot more coming out. Yeah, new information uh, all t- all day. Uh, we we had uh, this new uh, witness intimidation real time on TV on Friday during Maria Ivanovich. We had the Bill Taylor testifies some totally pre- previously unknown information about the phone call between Sunland and Trump in Kiev. It's like it, it. There's more, and I think there will be more. And uh, so it's going to be a really fascinating historical process that that we're that we're witnessing do i do i have time to tell you a quick autobiographical detail of course i decided to go to law school during the clinton impeachment oh really i did so i had been teaching college english and i was teaching argumentation i was teaching rhetoric and i was so captivated by the senate by the senate trial that i was listening to it that's when i had my earphones with a radio And I would listen to it right up to the time I went into the classroom. And then I would write the arguments that they were using and have the class sort of analyze these arguments. And that was when I decided to go to law school. So I just wanted to tie that back to the beginning. And actually, what I remember at the time was wishing I understood more about the constitutional issues with that with that impeachment and Senate trial. And so here I am. What is it? 20 years later, a little more than 20 years later now talking to people, help, helping people understand the constitutional issues of another impeachment. But amazing, right? That's pretty amazing. I was born 26 days before they uh, voted on articles of impeachment for Nixon. So I, I have a weird tie uh, with impeachment in my life. Right. So you had that tie. I remember, I remember Nixon resigning, but I was, um, how old was I? I was 12 or 13. But no, I wasn't yet... Um, sort of aware of what was going on. Yeah, I knew it was a big deal. I knew it was a big deal. But um, I was older than you, but still not quite old enough to engage much. Yeah, I was definitely not old enough to engage. (laughs) (laughs) But but you were born right there, right? Yeah. Uh, But yet here we are. Well, thank you so much for for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners where they can find your uh, public facing notes and everything that you're documenting? Well, I'm on Twitter. And so, and I also, um, actually, this is also my, you know, my husband putting things up for me. He decided I I was doing threads. I started doing threads about a year and a half ago and he didn't want me too dependent on any social media platform. So he put up a blog and all of my threads also go onto a blog. So people sometimes like the blog better than, 
than the thread. But I'm on Twitter as Terry Canefield. I have a blog also under my name. And then to find my my notes on impeachment, I think my website's called Impeachment Trump. But you can get a link from um, from my Twitter handle or my blog. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for these insights. It was really great to talk to you. Uh, The listener that suggested you come on the show was absolutely correct. I'm really glad that you joined us today. Uh, Everyone, author, lawyer, NBC News opinion contributor and expert in Trump impeachment, Terry Canefield. Terry, thanks again for joining us today. All right, everybody, that is our show. It was a long one. It was the impeachment megasode. Thank you for hanging in uh, and thank you for hanging out. Um, I absolutely love reading the news to you guys. And so... Y'all, and, and really, it's been helping me get through this week. It's been kind of a tough week. I just want to give you a quick update. My husband's doing better. He's walking, and uh, he's recovering from his surgery. And so thank you, thank you for all of the photos of podcasts and pod dogs and support and love and good thoughts and stuff. I really appreciate it. And thank you for just being there and listening, because this really does help me immensely. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. Any final thoughts for you guys? Um, yes, if you have the money to spare in contradiction to Stephen Miller's fuckheadedness, donate to SPLC. Ah, good one. Yeah, mm-hmm. monthly donation donation. Is, I love it. Yes. Just an extra reminder to take care of yourselves this week. I think uh that's my focus for this week, aside from like getting my work done, is just taking care of myself, making my brain feel nice. Good. Yeah. So do that for yourselves too. And we're bringing on another team member to the yeah. team to help with that, too. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you all for being patrons, because that allows us to do that. Um, mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. And uh, we love growing the team. And thank you. I just thank you so much um, for doing that. You get a bunch of stuff as a patron. But uh, honestly, that it just helps us out so much. I really appreciate it. So that's it. Everyone take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. I've been Mandy Reader. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production and social media direction is by Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. M-S-W Media.